Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Living My Catholic Faith Podcast. This is Deacon Wally Calabrese. I'm your host. And again, I have to apologize. It has been a quote-unquote hot minute since we've been together. And there's been a lot of things that have been going on in our lives, uh, mainly for uh, Amy and myself. But uh, we're uh, uh, committed to uh, starting this new season uh, and following through with providing much-needed podcast on the Catholic faith, and more importantly, how we live our Catholic faith. So that's what uh, this season is going to be about. But before we move into that, I just really want to talk about last season. I'm actually overjoyed with the fact that we've had approximately, well, let me go here. We've had over, we've had 27 episodes uh, last season. Uh, Holy Week by far was the best podcast with uh, about 150 views or 150 downloads. And then Mass 101 with over 120 uh, episode, uh, uh, people downloading that. We've had a total of 1,438, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 1,438 downloads since uh, this podcast has been published. And what's interesting is the locations. I'm, I'm, I'm quite, <laughs> I'm really kind of shocked where some of these locations are at and how they're doing. Now, naturally, the United States, uh, we've had a 1,000, a little over 1,000 uh, downloads. But Canada, we've had 113 downloads. In the United Kingdom, there was 31 downloads. Australia, there was 30. Sweden, there was 23. Germany, there was 19. Uh, Indonesia was five, and, and the rest of the countries were uh, ones and twos and whatnot. Uh, the biggest city is my hometown, if you will, of Havelock, North Carolina, with 159 downloads. Thanks for the support. Right behind that is Salmon Arm, British Columbia, with 85. And uh, that really got me curious as to where is Salmon Arm, British Columbia, so I had to Google it and Looks like a fascinating place. So if you're enjoying these downloads, please talk to your uh, your pastor and see if uh, uh, if you'd be interested in having a parish mission. I'd love to come out there and visit with y'all and, and either do a mission or a retreat. Uh, right after British Columbia's Charlotte, North Carolina, with 82 downloads, and Atlanta, Georgia, with 40. So I was quite impressed, really, with uh, it, it exceeded my expectations. For this podcast, what I thought was going to happen and how we're going to uh, move and grow. And uh, I did get a little lazy. There's there's no doubt about it. I, I did get lazy, and there's no excuse for that. But as I mentioned, you know, things happen. Uh, we were uh, a little busy. We were able to do a uh, Deacon and Wise retreat for the Diocese of Raleigh, my diocese, which was uh, fun. We had to break it up into three three different dates because uh, there just wasn't a spot big enough to hold us all, which is a good thing because that means there's a lot of us deacons, but it's also a bad thing because, you know, it's 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 nice when you get to do everything together in the deacon community. And then uh, we have a couple missions coming up uh, at the end of February, actually the first weekend of Lent. I'll be down at the uh, Our Lady Star of the Sea in North Myrtle Beach, uh, leading a parish mission down there. So if you're in the myrtle beach area please uh, plan on attending that and then two weeks later uh here in uh, eastern north carolina at uh, st mildred's of swansboro i believe it's a saturday uh we'll be leading a uh, 
a day of reflection for them as well. So season one, by far, uh, really uh, went beyond all expectations, and I really couldn't be happier. And I, I think it's a, a great gift from God and, and the Holy Spirit moving us. And there's that to me that says there's a lot of people who really are yearning to understand our faith and want to continue to grow in our faith and want to uh, share the faith. Which leads me to the topic that I wanted to talk about tonight, which is believe what you read. Now, this is one of the topics that I did with the uh, the deacons during, during our retreat. And during our ordination, uh, it's one thing I, I distinctly remember is uh, Bishop Burbage. Uh, he's uh, uh, the, the bishop that ordained us, and now he's the uh, bishop of Arlington. But at, you know, my, uh, 12 years ago, he was the uh, bishop of Raleigh, and he uh, ordained me into the diaconate. And I remember uh, Bishop Burbage looking looking right at me. You know, he did with everybody, but this is all I really remember. is looking me in the eyes and says, believe what you read. And that really stuck with me. Believe what you read. And when we think about that, you know, all these times, you know, we go through and we open up the Bible, or there's a passage or something like that. How do we come to understand what we believe to be true? In the Bible. So we got to begin somewhere. So where do we begin? If you know me by now, before we move any farther, we're going to begin with a prayer because that's one thing that we should always begin any type of study, any type of podcast, anything that we do, we should always begin with a prayer. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together to spend some time to really understand and to learn how to believe what we read, but more importantly, to trust that we do believe what we read. And we ask for your guidance, your wisdom, your grace. We ask all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, believe what you read. How do we get to this point? What do we do? So let's begin in our catechism, in paragraph 26. And paragraph 26 states, we begin our profession of faith by saying, I believe, or we believe. Now, before expounding the church's faith as confessed in the creed, celebrated in our liturgy, and lived in our observance of God's commandments and in prayer, we have to ask ourselves first and foremost what to believe means. Faith is man's response to God, who reveals himself and gives himself to man at the same time bringing man a superabundant light as he searches for the ultimate meaning of his life. What is this ultimate meaning of life? Everyone has been trying to figure that out since the dawn of man, since, since we've had these, these uh, arguments, you know, Plato, Aristotle, St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, all these great thinkers of the past, you know, what is the meaning of life? And truly it comes down to living and serving and loving God. And we're asked to believe what we read in, in the Bible and more often than not, people take Scripture out of context. They like one-liners. You know, John 3.16, it's a beautiful passage. I'm not denying it. But can you remember what 3.17 says? Can you remember what 3.18 says? Can you remember what 3.21 says? You have to take it into the entire context to understand the meaning. We can't just pull and pick and choose what parts we like, because if, if we're doing that, we're not understanding and we're not believing the Word of God. We're believing what we want to believe. So we're asked to believe what we read in sacred scripture. And we respond with, we will believe what we read. 
And again, what exactly does this mean? We find a hint within Luke chapter 24. And in chapter 24, we read the following. And it begins on verse 25. And he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophet spoke. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted it to them what referred to him in all the scriptures. He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. So there's an interesting concept right there that just happened. And many times we overlook it. We don't think about it. We don't spend time pondering Scripture. We don't spend time thinking and meditating on Scripture. We simply don't. We weren't trained to do so. But that's going to change. We need to spend time. We need to open up the Scripture. We need to reflect on it. We need to spend time with our Lord. But what's interesting in, in those verses that I just read to you, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, again, in, in the context of how this is written, some theologians would say, well, these are some apostles or disciples who weren't with Jesus in the, in the, in the inner glory or the inner circle. Okay, you're right. There weren't John when and they weren't uh, Peter. Got it. But they were still with Jesus for over three years or for that three-year period. So here's two people on a road, Jesus appears to them, and they have no idea who they're with. Right? So this is after his resurrection. But he opened their minds to understand. Once he opened their minds, they fully understood. And this is what he wants to do with us. He wants to open our minds. He wants us to understand what the message is that he's trying to get across, because there are so many folks out there who misinterpret Scripture. Now, it's within sacred scripture that God speaks through men in human fashion. So it follows that the interpreter of sacred scripture, us, if we are to ascertain what God has wished to communicate to us, we should carefully search out the meaning which God had thought well to manifest through the medium of their words. In other words, we can't just simply read it, highlight it, and say, I have the answers. That doesn't work that way. In determining the intention of the sacred writers, attention must be paid to literary forms, for the fact is that truth is differently presented and expressed in the various types of historical writing. So in prophetical and poetic texts, we have St. Augustine, and in other forms of literary expression. So as we study, as we reflect, we have to look for the meaning which the sacred writer determined in his particular situation or her situation, and given the circumstances of their time and their culture, intended to express and did express through the medium of their contemporary literary form. And that's a fancy way of saying in the 21st century, we think we have all the answers because, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. Boom. There it is. That, that, that's Jesus. And we're so easy to point fingers at those who had a hard time recognizing the Messiah. 
And this is what, you know, raised a few eyebrows during the retreat. And I said this to my brother deacons and, and their wives. You know, Jesus could walk through that door right now, and half of us wouldn't recognize him. And they looked at me like I had five heads, like, how could you say that? And it's true. It's true. We have our own biases and whatnot. We think we understand what Jesus wants us to do because we're ordained or whatnot. But even even a lady, you know, Jesus could walk into St. Peter's Cathedral during Mass one day. Nobody would really recognize him. A few maybe, but for the most part, most people wouldn't recognize him. Because we don't understand what it is that we're trying to see. We think we have all the answers, yet we refuse to really reflect, meditate, pray, study, understand, learn from the culture in which the Bible was written. We have to place ourselves back in that first century, or the second century. We have to look at the doctors of the church. How did they interpret the scripture? How did they struggle with it? We have to look at 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th century writings because those are the closest to the epicenter, if you will, of Jesus. We have to truly understand that Jesus himself didn't write anything down. These are everybody writing things down about him after the fact, right? So the Gospels, we know, weren't written until like 30 years after the fact. St. Paul is the one who wrote clearly first his epistles. But the, the actual Gospels themselves, with the exception of John, were written much later. So there's there's a gap in between, but we still have to take that cultural sensitivity. We have to understand what the, the author is trying to express, in fact, did express in their writings. So to understand these sacred uh, authors and what they wanted to affirm, what they wanted to convey in their work, we have to pay attention to the customary and characteristic patterns of precipitation, their speech, the narrative which prevailed at the age of the time of the sacred writer, uh, convictions in which people of that time followed in dealing with one another. It wasn't the same as it is today. So there's this, that those nuances are important in order for you to truly believe and understand what it is that you're reading. Right? So in paragraph 12 of De Verbum states, However, since God speaks in sacred scripture through men in human fashion, the interpreter of sacred scripture, us, you and me, in order to see clearly what God wanted to communicate to us, should carefully investigate what meaning the sacred writers really intended and what God wanted to manifest by means of their words. To search out the intention of the sacred writers, attention should be given, among other things, to literary forms. For the truth is set forth and expressed differently in texts which are variously historical, prophetic, poetic, or other forms of discourse. The interpreter, you and I, have to investigate what meaning that sacred writer intended to express at that time. For the correct understanding of what the sacred author wanted to assert, due attention must be paid to the customary and characteristic styles of feeling, speaking, and narrating which prevailed at the time of the sacred writer, and the patterns men normally employed at that period in their everyday dealings with one another. But Holy Scripture must be read and interpreted in the sacred spirit in which it was written, 
no less serious attention must be given to the context and unity of the whole scripture if the meaning of the sacred text is to be correctly worked out. The living tradition of the whole church must be taken into account along with the harmony which exists between elements of the faith. So it's a task of you and me to work according to these rules toward a better understanding and an explanation of the meaning of sacred scripture. Thereby, our study, the judgment of the church, may mature. For all that has been said about the way of interpreting scripture is subject finally to the judgment of the church, which carries out the divine commission and ministry of guarding and interpreting the word of God. Now, what does all that mean? It means, again, placing ourselves into the time period of the sacred writer, understanding what the customs were, how did they interact with one another. Um, when we leave it to ourselves, and this might offend a few people, but again, I'm, I'm not going to water down the truth. You're not going to find that here. When we leave it to ourselves, we, we become our, we, we give our own interpretation. We make the rules of what Jesus was saying. And, you know, if we think about it, this is why there, there's Protestantisms, right? So, so we, we have Protestants because of the fact that somebody looked at the way the Catholic Church was interpreting it and said, no, they got it wrong. You know, it's not the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be like this. And then we have these little hodgepodge uh, communities that are popping up. And I don't mean that in a negative way. But, but they're outside of the fold of the church. So they're not getting the true meaning. They're not receiving the truth of the context, of the, the total context of the Scripture. So it's hard for them to truly understand what it is that they believe in. You know, I find it fascinating. The only time a Protestant will speak about Mary is on Christmas. And then after that, she, she's like, nobody, you know, and they don't, they don't understand, you know, that as Catholics, we don't worship Mary, right? We don't. She's not the fourth member of the Blessed Trinity. We all understand that. But we honor her because of her yes, right? And, you know, just yesterday, you know, on, on the first, we celebrated Mary. Why? Because of the fact that she said yes. She's that example for all of us. Now, she didn't know, and this might get me in trouble with some, some, some folks, but it is what it is. There's this meme out there. I think that's how you say it, meme. Uh, Mary, did you know? And it's a picture of Batman slapping Robin and Batman saying, yes, she knew. No, she didn't. She didn't know everything that was going to happen. If, if you believe that, then, then you're, you're part of the problem of making Mary more than what she was. Now, she's very special. She's very unique. She's born sinless, right? She's the immaculate conception. She's the new new uh, tabernacle fuel, the new Eve. She carried Jesus. She carried God within her. She's very, very special. But she didn't know what was going to happen from day one to day uh, when Jesus was on the cross. She had no idea. So, you know, to say otherwise is foolish, right? So you're not reading Scripture. You're not believing Scripture correctly if you're interpreted in that way. That's the example I wanted to, to point out because of the fact we, we don't want to minimize, but we don't want to overemphasize either. We have to place it into the context of reality, right? So in paragraph one or two of our catechism, it states, 
through all the words of sacred scripture, God speaks only one, only one single word, his one utterance in whom he expresses himself completely. Now that's deep. And again, this is paragraph 102. Through all the words of sacred scripture, God speaks only one single word, his one utterance in whom he expresses himself completely. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, what is this one word? Well, go to John. Read John's uh, epilogue, how he starts off. How does John's introduction begin? In the beginning was the word. This is the word that the, the God speaks. Jesus. Through him, everything, right? So you recall that one and the same word of God extends throughout Scripture. That is one and the same utterance that resounds in the mouths of all the sacred writers since he who was in the beginning God with God has no need of a separate syllabus, syllables, for he is not subject to time. And that is from St. Augustine. Interesting, deep, deep philosophical thought on how it is that we believe what we believe. Beyond our understanding, beyond just simply reading something and saying, there it is. You have to struggle with this a little bit. You have to continue to grow with it, but more importantly, you have to read it, right? Now, paragraph 111 in our catechism states, but since sacred scripture is inspired, there is another and no less important principle of correct interpretation, without which scripture would remain a dead letter. Sacred scripture must be read and interpreted in the light of the same spirit by whom it was written. So here we go. These men and these women, you know, all the editors and whatnot who have anything to do with the sacred scripture or those later who interpreted and passed down the sacred teachings of these, are, are, of the sacred scripture, are being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Now, we believe when we're confirmed, and we're baptized, but more importantly, when we're confirmed, we receive the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if we believe that we receive these seven gifts, then how is it that we can't believe that we have to read and interpret in light of that same Spirit by whom it was written? So we have to understand that as well. So we need to know the time, we need to know the place, we need to know the custom, we have to know the environment, but more importantly, now we have to understand this is also the Spirit who is helping us with the one word that's being spread throughout the entire gospel. To me, I find this fascinating, and it helps when I go in and I actually start doing, you know, going a quote, deep dive into Scripture and, 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 and trying to understand a little bit deeper, going back and reading these doctors of the church and understand, you know, how did they struggle with this? You know, reading St. Basil the Great, St. Gregory the Great, and their, and their writings, it's fascinating in how they interpreted this and how they came to the conclusions. And then when you, re when you read it, you go, ah, that makes sense. But then why didn't I figure that out first? Well, because you have to allow the Spirit to work within you. You have to allow others who have already gone through this and these, these fathers of the church to help guide and develop you, right? Um, in paragraph 113, we read, uh, reading the scripture within the living tradition of the whole church, 
According to a saying of the Father's sacred scripture is written principally in the church's heart rather than in documents and records, for the church carries in her tradition the living memorial of God's word, and it is the Holy Spirit who gives her the spiritual interpretation of the scripture, according to the spiritual meaning which the Spirit grants to the church. I think that's beautiful. When we think, and again, when we think about the Spirit and how the Spirit's going to move through, so you might be thinking, okay, so what exactly does this have to do with understanding how to believe? Well, the Spirit, how do we get to know the Spirit? Well, through prayer, right? So we have to spend time in prayer as we study the Scripture. We want to make sure that when we're praying, we're praying that the Holy Spirit will grant us wisdom, will grant us knowledge, that the Holy Spirit will be with us as we try to interpret the scripture, but more importantly, to also grant us the humility to read the doctors of the church as well, to read the catechism, to read these great documents uh, of, the, of, the, of the church and understand why we say that the church is the authority on the interpretation of scripture, right? So maybe, you know, Johnny has this one, idea of what the scripture means and julie has this other idea of scripture means well the catholic church says this is what that scripture means and we put our faith and trust in what the catholic church says now the vast majority of sayings or quotations that are attributed from jesus are in a form of a parable now the parable that is given to us is not something that is very easily understood and requires the listener to truly dissect within the root of the meaning, in order to truly understand what it is Jesus is trying to convey. This utilization of parables is not so within his instruction and implementation of the doctrine of the Eucharist. In the Gospel account, as well as with Paul's writings, it is very clear and concise as to what Jesus is conveying to us. Now, that's when we think about the Eucharist, but other times when we think about the parables, you know, we think about the, uh, the fig tree or we think about the mustard seed, or we think about, uh, 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 you could use the uh, the virgins with the oil. You know, there, there's other times that Jesus uses these parables, and it, sometimes it becomes a little frustrating when people say, well, these parables are easy to understand. No, they're not, because, again, you have to place yourself back into that century, that time, and understand why Jesus was trying to convey it, but more importantly, how does it apply in today's context. How do we imply those same parables in today's lifestyle so people will understand what it is that Jesus wants us to do? Because the biggest lie out there right now is, you know, love is love. Jesus loves everyone. Everyone's going to heaven. But that's not true. And we know it's not true. We know not everyone's going to heaven because Jesus said so. He would love for everyone to go to heaven. But unfortunately, many people choose to turn their backs and not believe what they read. They'd rather interpret it and believe what they want to believe, but not what Jesus wants us to do. So again, we need to read sacred scripture, and we must interpret the sacred scripture with this divine authorship in mind. No less attention must be devoted to the context and unity of the whole scripture, the whole scripture, taken into account the tradition of the entire Catholic Church, because that's where we drive the true meaning of these sacred texts. So again, it's our task as the readers, as the listeners, to work according to those rules, 
towards a better understanding and explanation of the meaning of sacred scripture in order that their research may help the church form a firmer judgment. All that has been said about the, the manner of interpreting scripture is ultimately subject to the judgment of the church, which exercises divine, uh, the divinely conferred commission and ministry of watching over and interpreting the word of God. And we understand that to be true because of the fact that Jesus said so to Peter, and he also said so to the, the, the apostles. So we look at sacred scripture, it must be read and interpreted with this divine authorship in mind. No less attention, right? So in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, is the parable of the talents. And this is interesting. It's very interesting when I read it, and I encourage you to pray, prayerfully listen to it now. It will be as when a man who was going on a journey called in his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to a third one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. Immediately the one who had received five talents went and traded with them and made another five. Likewise, the one who received two made another two. But the man who received one went off and dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came forward, bringing the additional five. He said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I have made it five more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you are faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come, share your master's joy. Then the one who had received two talents also came forward and said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you are faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come, share your master's joy. Then the one who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you were a demanding person, harvesting where you did not plant and gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is back. His master said to him in reply, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I did not plant and gather where I did not scatter. Should you not then have put my money in the bank so that I could have got it back with interest on my return? Now then take that talent from him and give it to the one with ten. For to everyone who has more, more will be given, and, who, and he will grow rich. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and, and throw this useless servant into the darkness outside, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Now, with many of us, myself included, we miss in this parable, when we hear it for the first time, and what the ancient Jewish listener would have caught immediately is the connection of the talent to heaviness. A talent in the time of Christ was a weighty. It was very weighty. And, excuse me, and five talents would have been extraordinarily heavy. Hearing of this heaviness, they would have immediately recalled the heaviest weight of all, the kabod of Yahweh. <coughs> excuse me. Now, this kabod of Yahweh was in the, in the temple located in Jerusalem, resting upon the mercy seat within the Holy of Holies. Now, for the Jewish people of the time of Christ, the heaviest most glorious of all talents was the mercy of God, which is infinite, limitless, 
limitless in abundance in the holy temple. Now, having this understanding of what is truly meant by this word talent, we can now read Jesus' parable with the true meaning and purpose. These talents given to the servants are not monetary gifts or personal capacities. We think they are, but they're really not. They are literally their or our share in the mercy of God. It's an invitation for our participation in the weightiness of the divine love. Now, God's mercy is always directed towards the other, meaning these talents are designed to be shared. They increase exactly in the same measure that they are given away. The more divine love we give, the more we receive. And the weight of this love increases proportionally. Now, think about that for a second. There's people out there that I'm sure you're just like me. You lose every ounce of Christian charity within you every time you see them. And yet, that's when we are that one person, if you will, the one servant who takes the talent and then hides it. What we're supposed to do with that person that drives every ounce of Christian charity out of me is to be like that one servant who made five more. Take God's mercy, take God's love, and spread it. It's extremely hard. It is harder than what people want to admit. And I have to chuckle when I hear people say, oh, it's so easy to love everybody. No, it's not. It's really difficult at times. And if you're saying that you do it, odds are you're probably either lying to yourself or lying to somebody else. Because nobody outside of Jesus, Mary, loves everybody. Right? It, it, it just doesn't happen. If that were the case, there'd be no wars, there'd be no crime, there'd be no hate. The whole nine yards. So when we think about this, again, using that parable of the talents, we have to spread that talent. We have to share it. We can't just hold it to ourselves. And that's the problem of that timid servant, who I have been on occasion and occasionally still am, who buried that talent and didn't understand what had been given to him, meaning Christ's divine mercy, which is meant, again, to be given to others as a pure gift. By burying it in the ground or hugged so tightly to myself as one's own possession, that talent simply passes away. That's why the master's harsh, harsh words should not be read as punishment of an angry God, but as, as an expression of mercy. Christ's divine mercy will grow in you only as you give it to others. And sometimes, as I mentioned before, this is the most difficult thing that we could ever do. But yet, that's what we're called to do. So how do we believe? What does this mean? To believe. To believe has a twofold reference to the person and to the truth. To the truth by trust in the person who bears witness to it. That's how we believe. What we believe we read. We must believe in no one but God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Believing is totally a human act. It's conscious and free and corresponds to the dignity of the human person. Believing is also an ecclesial act. The church's faith precedes, engenders, supports, and nourishes our faith. The church is the mother of all believers. No one can have God as father who does not have the church as mother. And that's St. Cyprian. 
we believe all that which is contained in the Word of God, written or handed down, and which the church proposes for belief as divinely revealed. So how do we know what to believe? How do we believe what we read? We have to study Scripture. We have to read it every day, or as often as we can, if you can't do it every day, at least three or four times a week. We have to pray. We have to pray after we study, before we study, asking for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially that of wisdom and knowledge. We have to pray that Jesus will open our minds so that we can believe and we can see. And when we are having those moments of doubts, to understand that we're there and ask Jesus to help us with those doubts and those fears. But more importantly, not just to look at these parables, these psalms, the Gospels, and to automatically think we have the answers, but again, to truly go back and study them and to reflect on them, to pray about them, and to consider how that they can change our lives, not that how we can change their meaning. We trust the church. We trust the truth. We will never compromise the truth. That's how we know what we believe to be true and authentic. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it was something that was worth your time. Uh, This will be our first episode of season two. Every year will be a new season. I think that's how it works. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, Hey, so visit us at my website, www.deaconwallycalibres.com, deaconwallycalibres.com. Email Lindy. Invite us out. We'd love to come out to your parish and do a mission, a retreat. It's not just during Lent. We can do it in Easter. We can do it in summer. We can do it in fall. Advent's over. We're still in Christmas, but we have Christmas retreats and missions as well. There's lots of ways we can come out there. Let's energize our communities. Let's focus on coming to know and love Christ more. And with that, please keep me in your prayers, and I will keep you in mine. May God bless you, keep you, and we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.